Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. This morning, we're in the second week of our series called Light and Love. It's a study through the book of 1 John. Uh, What we did last week is we looked at the introduction to this letter, which is uh, written more like a poetic sermon. Uh, And John says uh, that he and the first eyewitnesses of Jesus have seen and have touched and have heard the word of life and that they are proclaiming the gospel to us, the new generation of Jesus' followers. And what he says, is, but he makes a unique claim. He says that when we respond to the invitation to follow Jesus, uh, John uses a particular term for that, and the term is the Greek koinonia, uh, or what we have come to translate in English as fellowship. He says, so when we respond to this call, this invitation to enter into the life of Christ, uh, we are entering into koinonia, or fellowship. Uh, in order to help us get our, uh, get our minds and hearts around this, we likened koinonia to a dance. And uh, you may have heard buzzing around that I literally danced up here for almost the entire sermon. Uh, it was quite entertaining, I'm sure. Uh, I had to attend a life group. I had to. I, no, I didn't say had to. I got to attend a life group after that. And uh, I, I just had to face people after dancing publicly. And that was just difficult for me. But, uh, but it went all right. Uh, We likened this koinonia to a dance where we are invited to experience the life and light and love and joy and freedom of dancing with the divine life that fills the world. And what we said said is this, we said you can know all the information about dancing and and still not dance. You can know all the right vocabulary to describe the dancing but not be dancing. The only way to koinonia is to dare to dance. And then, uh, after all of this, I had this beautiful moment during communion last week that I want to tell you about, that uh, people were coming forward receiving communion, and as you know, our our practice is to receive communion and say, uh, you know, there's the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you, Uh, and then the person responds with, thanks be to God. Uh, Well, this, this person, instead of responding with, thanks be to God, looked at me with a twinkle in their eye, and said, keep on dancing. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? I should have worked that in. I should have worked that into the communion liturgy. This is the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. May you keep on dancing, right? That's a, good, that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So in other words, we had a blast last week. Uh, and if you missed it, you just can't catch all that in the podcast. And so uh, make sure and come to church every week because you never know what will happen. You see how I worked all of that in? All of that was just a commercial to be in church every week. <laughs> oh, just kidding. Okay, so let's continue on. 1 John uh, chapter 5, and I want to read a big portion of Scripture today. We're going to take us all the way through chapter 2, verse 11. So we're starting in 1-5. We're going to go through 2-11. Uh, it says this, This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Now if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. For if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Chapter 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, who is the righteous one. Now, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. For we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. But whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Now, dear friends, I am not writing to you a new command, but an old one, which you have heard since the beginning. This old command is the message that you have heard. Yet, I am writing to you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. What if, what if this, let's pause, what if we as Christians took that as our approach to the world? The truth is in him and in you because the, the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. What if that was our approach to the world? That the darkness is being chased away by the light of Christ. Now anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pick up right where we left off in verse 5. John has just talked to us about this fellowship, this koinonia, this joining in the dance, this proclamation of following Jesus, and then he wants to make explicit the message that was shared. This is the message that we received and have passed on to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. God is light. And you can tell just from this passage that this, this idea, this contrast between the light of God and darkness becomes one of the central images for the book. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. One of the central images. And it sounds actually wonderful. It sounds all very encouraging. It's, it's, it's uplifting. But the reality is, what does it really mean? <laughs> to say God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Well, first, it is a statement about the nature and the character of who God is. God is light, and light implies things like integrity and authenticity. And so to say that God is light is to say that, that light is truth, it's integrity, it's authenticity. That when you shine a light on something, you see it for what it really is. How many of you have had this experience when you were kids, or maybe when you were adults, that in the dark, some form or fashion that you look at, and it, sh it casts shadows, and it looks creepy, and you aren't sure what it is, and you're just a little bit uncertain, and it creates this, this, this thing inside of you, that when you flip on a light, it appears, and you think, oh, it was just that thing. And you know immediately what it is. It is the nature of light to reveal. 
uh, to make manifest, to show things for as they really are. The, the, the shorthand way of saying that is truth. And as the people of God who follow the God who is light, we should be about the truth. To, to be able to discern things for what they really are. And so, it is first a, a statement about the nature and the character of who God is. I wonder then, is it any mistake that Jesus is called the light of the world? For he is the one who reveals to us and makes manifest to us the light of God. God is light. Jesus is the light of the world. Because Jesus Christ reveals and makes manifest to us who this God is. And then we are given an invitation after this declaration of who God is. We are given this invitation to walk in the light. Now this is a beautiful play on words with multiple layers of meaning that, uh, the, of how he's using this, this light metaphor and terminology. But at the bottom, the bottom line is we are invited to walk in the light. And so you'll notice once again that walk is a verb. It implies action. Once again, it invites us into participation of going and doing something. You get a sense that John is not so concerned about all that you might believe, but, he's so, but he is very concerned about what you are doing and how you act. God is light. That's who he is. That's his character. And then we are invited to participate in the truthfulness, in the authenticity, in the manifestation of the divine light by walking in it. Now, Life Group after church last week, the question was posed, does participation in koinonia have to be christened and named as Christian in order to be true koinonia? It was a good discussion. And we bounced different ideas around, and then the answer that I think the group came to was that the answer is no. Since all truth belongs to God and all light has God as its source, then it is quite possible for someone who would never name Christ specifically to be in the dance. <laughs> and this is part of actually how God works in our life to draw us to himself. That, that we, could, we could touch this koinonia, that we could enter into the dance floor and we wouldn't know yet, we wouldn't have the language yet to, give, to, to name Christ or to give glory to Christ we, or, or to give glory to God. We could be in the light, not know the source of the light, but we are touching the koinonia. We are in the middle of the dance. Are you with me? All truth belongs to God. All light has God as its source. And so things do not necessarily have to be christened as Christian in order to touch the true fellowship of the divine. Are you with me? Not many of you are with me. That's okay. <laughs> in other words, let me say it this way to help us begin to get our minds around this. Sometimes we put such an emphasis on having the right vocabulary that we will see fellow dancers who don't yet have the right words or language to talk about the dance, and we will frown at them, and, and by frowning, we will stifle their dancing. You with me? Those of you who are 
who enjoy metaphors, you're rocking with the last two messages, right? <laughs> Those of you who are like linear A to B people are like, come on. <laughs> Enough with the dancing metaphor. <laughs> I want to say it again. Sometimes we put such an emphasis on having the right vocabulary that we see fellow dancers who don't yet have the right language to talk about the dance and we frown at them and stifle their dancing. And what Christians in the church need to do is learn to see people. Learn to see how people who would never name Christ and yet are dancing and, in, and then encourage them to keep on dancing and then give them the language. Does that make sense? Recognize people who are living exactly in the light of who God is. They're in the dance. They don't have any language. You say, keep on dancing, and then you give them the language. And then you show them the source. This is exactly why, by the way, Paul, the Apostle Paul's approach in Athens. In the book of Acts, it tells the story of the Apostle Paul who goes into Athens. The Athenians were the philosophers, the smarty pants of culture, and they were going around and they were philosophizing and religionizing and they were doing all of this kind of stuff. And there were some things that Paul firmly disagreed with in terms of their practice, but he also saw that in these certain parts of their life, they were catching on and they were dancing with the light of God. And so what Paul says is he, is he comes alongside of them and he says, yeah, that part, keep on dancing. And then let me give you language. God is the source of all of this. In fact, the God whom you have worshipped as unknown, I will make known to you, Paul says. But sometimes what happens is if people don't have the language to talk about the dance, we frown on them and stifle their dancing. You with me? But what does it mean to walk in the light? Well, practically what it means, and this is, John is a, is a beautiful writer, uses metaphor heavily in his books, but he also gets right down to business. <laughs> practically what it means, according to verse 2, verses 3 through 6, is we have come to know him if we keep his commands. And so for very practically, like kind of on a ground level, what it means for John to walk in the light is, are you living like Jesus did? Are you following the commands of Jesus? Does your life look like Christ? To which all of us would say, well, no, our life can't look like all the fullness of Christ. Yes, we can agree, our life should not take on the exact imprint of Christ. That would be hard. And we would, that would be a, a standard to which all of us would, would feel discouraged and bear the weight under. But guess what? John is saying that our lives together, corporately, our lives personally, ought to bear some resemblance to the one that we call Messiah, Jesus. You with me? Well, there ought to be some family resemblance <laughs> with the people of God. And I can tell you as I work in ministry, one of the things that I hear most often, both from people that I know and, and, and just as I, as I follow church trends and culture, one of the things I notice most often is people reject the church because the people in the church don't look anything like Jesus. That is one of the number one things, is when I look at the people who call on the name of Jesus, and then I look at Jesus in, as revealed in, through the scriptures, there, I don't see a family resemblance. And what John is saying, you will know that you are walking in the light if there's a family resemblance. 
If you look at my life and you look at what Jesus has taught us and commanded us, then there ought to be some similarities. Commands like love your enemy, love your neighbor, forgive those who wrong you. Do not lust, follow him. Be a person of your word, make disciples, welcome children, seek first the kingdom of God, and on and on it could go. But we need to understand as a people of God that Jesus doesn't give these commands in order to stifle our joy, but to bring joy. God, Jesus doesn't give us these commands in order to stifle life, but to bring life. It's as though we were doing this. It's as though we were in the circle and we were dancing, and then Jesus says, here, try this, and he shows us a new move. <laughs> right? And at first it seems odd to live and to dance in such a new way, but the promise is that if we really try it, it will bring light, it will bring love, it will bring life, and it will bring joy. And so we learn new dance steps. New steps like forgiveness. New dance steps like love that isn't conditioned upon proper action. New dance steps of nonviolence, of passion for justice. Justice is things being made right. New dance steps like truth and purity. And guess what? Of course, as with anyone who is learning a new dance, they will stumble <laughs> and fall and look a little silly while we try. But the point is not that we do it without flaw. The point is that we do it and we keep learning and we keep trying and we keep loving and we stay in the dance so that when Jesus says, here, try this, we're right behind him saying, yep, I'm going to try. I'm going to go for it. And I'm going to have two left feet at first and I won't know exactly how to forgive and I won't know exactly what that looks like. And I have a lot of, in, in, in which, by the way, Jesus, I have a lot of questions about that. Right? And, and, and I don't know about that. Are you sure? Right? But, but we, we keep leaning in and we keep going and dancing in the rhythm of the divine life as he helps to grow and move us and shake us. And what I'm afraid of is that for too many years, too many of us haven't learned any new steps. You see? We just say, hey, I got it down. This is it. And we never learn any new steps of what Jesus wants to show us. See, part of walking in the light is, again, a revealing, a manifestation, something new being brought about. And as something new is brought about, we, we are brought into a new life in Christ and challenged in new ways. But again, as I said, we'll probably stumble. We'll probably look pretty silly as we first try it. But the point is not doing it without flaw. The point is doing it. And the question then is, are we left on our own? Are we left with an invitation to follow light that we can't find? Are we invited to walk in light that we are incapable of seeing? And the answer, of course, is no. The passage in, in chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, seems to indicate that a key part of walking in the light is recognizing the darkness in and around us. A key part of walking in the light is, is learning to recognize the darkness around and in us. 
It says this, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, though, he is faithful and he is just, and he will forgive us our sin. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say that we have not sinned, then we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. You see, a key part of walking in the light is this confessional element of this humility before God of being able to say, God, I know that you just showed me that, forgive, that, that dance move called forgiveness. And I confess to you that I am not ready to go there. God, I know that you have shown me the new dance move of purity, but God, I, I confess to you that I won't live that out the way I should. You see, whatever it is, a key part of walking in the light is this humility before God, this confession before God for the things that we don't do exactly right. And I know, based on the authority of Scripture, that God would much rather have a posture of our heart that says, that is confessional, that says, God, I don't have everything figured out. I don't know exactly what to do in this situation. I'm having a hard time coming to the place that I know that you're calling me. And all of these kinds of like confessional self-awareness recognitions is far better than just slapping on some sort of false face before God. That, that, that we're trying to trick God that we've got it all together. Right? Like God... God desires a broken and contrite heart before him. And, and I, actually, I actually love that this, there's this key part of walking in the light, of, of being able to say, you know what, there's some darkness in me. That is such an important piece. And it makes it such a beautiful gospel. What if it was just walk in the light as he is in the light, period. That sounds like a message of guilt, of condemnation, a weight that I can't bear. But if it's walk in the light as he is in the light and then be, be able to confess that there is sin in us, that is a freeing thing, not a condemning thing. Are you with me? It is a freeing thing to be able to say as I walk in the light, if I have this confessional element to my life, then, then guess what? What that does is it opens up space in our heart for the Holy Spirit to work and then free us from those things. You see what I'm saying? It isn't just that there's, oh, I'm this terrible sinner, I confess that before you, and I'll always be living in darkness. It is God as I approach God humbly, and I say, oh, God, there is this part in me or about me that needs to be cleansed. What does it say? He is faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins, and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Part of walking in the light and having this confessional peace is part of the cleansing, is part of the lighting. <laughs> and that makes it just this beautiful, beautiful message. And so we're not left on our own. In fact, what he, what he says is that when we do this, 
when we recognize and have this confessional element, and when we do sin, he says, I will catch you, I will lift you up, I will rescue you, you are not left on your own. And the second chapter opens with this, my little children, (laughs) which is not meant to be a diminutive term, but rather a, a term of warmth. John is approaching this house church pastorally. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. In other words, John's pastoral heart for himself and for his people is that they will come to a place where they were walking fully in the light of God. He says, I'm writing this to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, right? John knows himself. (laughs) He knows his people. (laughs) If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. For he is the atoning sacrifice of our sins. And then he wants to just expand their view of salvation. He says, not just our sins, but the sin of the whole world. (laughs) Right? Well, John, in chapter 2, at the end, he narrows it down even further. And he says, walking in the light is not just following the commands of Jesus. It is that. But walking in the light is also loving your brother or sister. Chapter 2, verse 10 says, anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. Now, the question in this immediately comes up is, who is my brother and sister? Is it my actual brother and sister? <laughs> because that's going to be hard. <laughs> right? Thought I'd, get, I'd make it real. Is it my fellow believers, my brother and sister in Christ? Is brother and sister a, a, a way of saying all people? And the truth is that throughout Scripture, it can actually mean all of those things. Uh, Depending on context and what the author is doing, it can mean any one of those things. In fact, part of the the, like powerful and, and, and amazing message and progressive message of Jesus when he calls us to love our neighbor is that he does not, he's not just talking about your neighbor. He's talking about your neighbor, (laughs) right? Like neighbor becomes this way of talking about all people. Uh, Well, in my study, what I found is that in this particular context, John is actually referring to our brothers and sisters in Christ. He's talking about that local community, loving our brothers and sisters in Christ, our fellow believers. Uh, This does not mean that we aren't called to love those who are outside of the faith. Of course we are. But for John here and and in the gospel, uh, there is a particular emphasis on Christians learning to love one another. Uh, It's as though learning to love one another... uh, is a training ground for learning to love those who don't walk in faith. It's as though John is saying, if you're ever going to learn to love people who are different from you, you have got to learn to love those with whom you have something in common that is as foundational as faith. You hear me? If we're ever going to learn to love those who are outside of the faith, we've got to at least learn to love those who are inside of the faith, who walk by faith who could be called fellow believers in Christ. It's a foundational thing. In this passage, this call to love, there are echoes of the Shema. The Shema is a famous passage out of Deuteronomy, which says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what Jesus does in the Gospels is he takes that old Jewish prayer and he adds to it, and love your neighbor as yourself. And there are echoes of the Shema here. Uh, the word love in the Shema is the, uh, is the Hebrew word, avaha, 
That's a pretty fun word, right? You're like, avaha, <laughs> except you mean love. Um, so that was a horrible joke, by the way. It's pretty dry. So um, it speaks of affectionate feeling like a parent would have for a child or friends would have for one another or groups may feel toward a leader. Uh, God is the source, though, of this love, and this is his very essence. His love is everlasting because it is, uh, there is no point in which it began. It has always been. There is no point in which it will end. And so what Avaha is at least speaking to is this benevolent, warm feeling from one to another. But it isn't just that. In other words, when, when, the, uh, when, when teaching us to pray, love the Lord your God, your heart, soul, mind, and strength... Uh, the, the instruction there is not just to have warm feelings toward God, because Abaha is bigger than that. It isn't just a feeling, it is action. It motivates us, that, that warmth of feeling motivates us toward particular action or actions. And this is actually how Christ manifests God's love toward us or for us. It isn't that we are left trying to believe that there is a benevolent God who has warm feelings toward us. That is a hurdle that some people could not overcome. You with me? If all we were given was, there is a, there is a God of the universe and he feels benevolent toward you, there wouldn't be much to go on. So the way that God demonstrates his abaha toward us is the Word of God becomes flesh and then begins to go around and in this time and space, this world in real history begins to heal people, begins to help people, begins to feed people who are hungry, begins to proclaim a message of love, begins to offer forgiveness, begins to do all of these things as a way of demonstrating and putting into action his love toward people, which culminates then in his death on the cross. And as people are literally beating him, as people have thrown insults at him as he has been publicly shamed, he responds to this violence of all natures and all sorts, not with further violence, but with forgiveness. And this becomes a very concrete way of uh, action of showing love. Because it isn't just that we are left to believe in the universe somehow that there is a, a divine person that has benevolent feelings towards you. It is that that divine person, the creator of all, we'll call him God, has revealed himself in Christ and Christ has shown through action the love that God has for humanity. Are you with me? Abaha is not just benevolent feeling but action as well. And so for John, love is, is an action. It is, again, participation. So let me give you an example. Because he says then that we are to love. We are to love our brothers and sisters. In this context, he's speaking about it as in terms of a training ground for learning to love other people, to learn to love all people. So I heard this this week. I'm repeating, this isn't my idea, but I liked it, so I'm repeating it. Uh, pastors steal each other's material on a regular basis. You should just know this about the world, right? So, <laughs> so here it is. Uh, I am repeating this, and I like it. In the face of racial tensions, we are sometimes led to believe that loving others is akin to being colorblind. 
That is to say that we have misunderstood love as being indifferent to color and culture of color. But this isn't love. Indifference is not love. Love is coming to learn to celebrate color and the culture of color and the richness of life and culture that color brings to the kingdom of God. You with me? Many times, the first experience that people will have this is sort of inside the safe confines of a mission trip. They will go somewhere where people have different colors of skin, totally different culture. They will watch that culture worship, and they will recognize there is truth and beauty here. And that is like the first space of recognizing value of culture of different color, of color other than your own. You with me? So I'm not, I'm not in any way trying to be like offensive, but just trying to like move us toward love is not just the absence of hatred. Love is not even indifference toward, but love is action toward. It, it, it isn't that God looked at us and with all of his avaha said, uh, I'm just going to be okay with sin. It's, it's, all too, it's really too bad, uh, but I still love them regardless. What God does is he looks at our own brokenness and he moves toward that in order to heal. He loves with action. And so what we need to do as a people of God is learn to love with action toward you with me? Uh, let me say this out loud. This is incredibly hard. This is incredibly hard. There's like nothing easy about that. Nothing easy at all. Um, but we are called to love our brothers and sisters, which does not mean to have generic positive feelings about them, but rather it means to show loving action toward them. Uh, which is why we have things like the care team, uh, which helps to come alongside of people in, in sort of life ups and downs and provide tangible actions of love toward that person. Which is why we have things like life groups, which help that when, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm involving myself in, in someone else's life, if I'm taking the risk of letting other people in, and then we kind of, we form this community, we, we live life together, then as I go through ups and downs, as other people go through ups and downs, we can be there for one another, we can show actionable, tangible love toward one another here. Uh, which is why we have impact ministry. We don't just want to be uh, a church who's like, um, if you are homeless, that's okay. We want to move toward those who are homeless, and show actionable love for them. Uh, which is why game night at Parkway State seems like such a simple thing, right? But who is the most ignored and overlooked demographic in our culture? Senior adults at the end of life. And so what we do is we want to move toward them with love, loving action to provide joy and laughter, community where they may not have it. You see what I'm saying? So, so there are very tangible, physical, actual steps that we are taking to try to live out the true, uh, true depth of meaning of avaha, which is not just we have benevolent feelings about something, but we move in action toward that.
We good? Here's my encouragement. May we together live and walk in the light of God. Amen? Amen. Well, let's receive communion, and then we're going to do prayers of the people, and then uh, that will be the end of our service. And what our goal is to try to transition into our meeting time uh, as quickly as possible. And so those of you all are welcome to participate in our annual meeting. Uh, Only voting members will, will be able to cast a vote, but all are welcome to join us and participate. So, uh, but we want to transition as quickly as possible into our meeting time. So let's say a word of prayer. We'll receive communion. We'll spend some time in prayer, uh, and then and then we'll go about the rest of our business for today. Uh, God, thank you for uh, your love and your light. Um, God, we profess today um, that you are light, and and in you there is no darkness at all. Help us, God, to capture the full truth of what that means. Uh, be with us, Lord, as we endeavor to walk in the light as you are in the light. And we're going to need discernment. We're going to need strength. uh, We're going to need help. We're going to need wisdom. We're going to need a lot. uh, But God, help us as we lean in uh, to try to discern and decide all that that means uh, for us, not just as a people, uh, certainly that, but for us um, individually as well. And so, God, uh, be with us. And in particular, be with us as we gather around the table. Would you speak to us? Uh, May that be a means of grace where you might speak to our hearts uh, and give us hints as to the direction that we are to go and if there's any adjustments that need to be made in our life. So, Lord, we thank you. Uh, We love you. Cleanse our hearts, we pray, as we walk in the light. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.